what are you capable of? What is the mind capable of creating for your life, for your body? What is possible? Those are the questions that Dr. Joe Dispenza is an expert at answering. It is one of those conversations that just might change your life. I know it has mine. This episode is brought to you by Onnit, as always, onnit.com slash Aubrey for all your total human optimization needs. Lakanto, my favorite monk fruit sweetener, lakanto.com, promo code AMP, and Blue Blocks, my favorite blue blocking glasses, blueblocks.com slash AMP. In this conversation with Dr. Joe Dispenza, we talk about an environment, a world, a society that was a lot different than the last time we had a conversation, but the same principles apply. The power of the mind to either create a personal hell that the body adapts and responds to called the nocebo, where we're signaling everything is fucked, or the positive effects, the placebo effect, the same thing that's accounted for in every single clinical trial because it's been shown to heal every single clinical condition to some degree and that's why it's always accounted for and what is that that's the power of the mind to influence and signal the body to create the adaptations and responses necessary for healing and thriving so this is one of the most important shows any of us can listen to it's one of the shows that i'm going to tune back into and re-listen to over and over again because Dispenza offers a practice, not just philosophy, but a practice that can help bring you to those peak states of health, thriving, and emotional equanimity. I hope you guys love this show as much as I did. But before we begin this uninterrupted podcast, here's a quick word about our sponsors. When you start to understand the basics of metabolic health, you realize you don't want to put a bunch of sugar in your food. That's just going to spike your blood sugar and then cause you to release a bunch of insulin. And then you're going to be on this insulin blood sugar roller coaster that ultimately leads to a bunch of undesirable conditions. So then you look at your options. And one of the best options out there is monk fruit because it's a real fruit. It's been harvested in China and grown by a local population that has a deep reverence for this. They actually even call it the immortals fruit because they've been using it to treat a bunch of different ailments and bring people into a state of human thriving for a long time. It's grown without pesticides. It's grown without any of the crap and bullshit that you get in so many of the other products that we'll see on a normal grocery store shelf. I love it because you can use monk fruit in baking. So you can use it similarly that you would sugar because of the crystalline granular structure, but it doesn't have that glycemic component that's just going to ramp up your blood sugar. So it's just a great option. You can use it in all your drinks and beverages. It's incredibly versatile, and I encourage you guys to check it out. They also have some pre-made products like some granola and different things that I've got a chance to taste. So check it all out. It's L-A-K-A-N-T-O dot com, and the promo code is AMP, and you'll get 15% off your order. So once again, lakanto.com promo code AMP for 15% off. Next, we have Blue Blocks, and you guys have heard me talk about this, but now it's time to get yourself some glasses and use them. Like, go through the process so you have better sleep, so you're restricting all of that blue light that's keeping you awake at night. Instead of just complaining about it to your friends, just get these glasses. They look dope. You get to wear glasses at night. You know, you get to pretend that you're Kanye or whatever and just rock them, and it's doing something incredibly positive for your health. So I encourage you guys to check it out. Go to blublox.com slash amp. You'll get 15% off any of the glasses that you see there. And of course, whether you have prescriptions or whatever you have, Blue Blocks has solutions that can either go over your glasses. There's a bunch of different solutions. Once you go to blueblocks.com, you'll be able to check it out for yourself. So once again, blueblocks.com slash amp for 15% off. And lastly, we have Onnit. Now, everybody's heard me talk about Onnit. Why? Because I created Onnit largely as a solution to everything that I've wanted to have available for my own life. So it's just expanding the toolbox of all of the tools that are available. I actually had somebody ask me recently, they're saying, what do you do with all of the different supplements and biohacking techniques and everything that you're aware of? How do you fit it all in? And my explanation was really, Look, I've spent the time to get familiar with all of the different tools, all of the different supplements, all of the foods, all of the practices, 
and I don't do everything every single day. That would be crazy. But I know which tool to apply to which situation to bring out the total human optimization that I'm looking for in that given moment. So that's how I do it. And on it is a huge, indelible part of this process for me. And I know it will be for you. So check out everything we have on it.com slash Aubrey for 10% off always. Once again, onnit.com slash Aubrey. And now an uninterrupted podcast with Dr. Joe Dispenza. So Joe, last time we were in Portland, we said we were going to drink a glass of wine together and it took a moment, but, <laughs> but here we are. We got a glass of wine and we're going to have another conversation. Cool. Cheers, brother. Cheers, brother. So I got a chance to go down to Cancun and uh, spend some time in the week-long mm -hmm. retreat. And I went down there. Uh, being quite honest, like many of the people that went down there, I still had an embedded belief, a conditioned belief that somewhere in the external world was my salvation. And I was going there to help me bring things from the external world into my own life. And while, yes, I wanted to explore the powers of my mind and I wanted to understand your method and how to deeply go into the quantum, into the void, and there was some intention for that, but really it was about manifestation of things. But then as I've reflected, and I even took that to the point where midway through the week, one of the things that I was manifesting miraculously came to me out of the blue. I saw it really incredibly clearly. There was a thousand people dropping in and meditating with me, which is something I want to get back to, the collective amplification. And it came to me and I said, oh, wow. And there was an opportunity for me to go home and follow up on it. And I did it and I took it. But looking back, I realized that I had overlooked the real, in my opinion, the gem, the pearl of inestimable value, which was not bringing external things. It was the ability to control your internal environment with your will. Mm. And that is the thing that you teach that I think everybody's focused on the shiny object of what they want to bring into their life, health or wealth or romance. But really, if we can control our internal environment of sensations, of our emotions, that is mastery of this game of life. Sure. Well, I think um, people come to our work for all kinds of reasons. Some people, like you said, have health conditions. Some people want to create a new job, a new career, a new relationship. Uh, some people are craving a mystical experience. Some people just want to understand life from a different perspective. And and I think I think science has become the contemporary language of mysticism. I think it's science that demystifies the mystical. And if you can combine a little quantum physics with a little neuroscience, with neuroendocrinology, with psychoneuroimmunology, the mind-body connection, epigenetics, all of those sciences point the finger at possibility. And <clears throat> if you talk about religion, if you talk about culture, if you talk about tradition, even spirituality, I noticed that you divide an audience. But science, in a sense, creates community. So people come for all kinds of reasons. And what I've learned in the last year or so is that uh, what people really want is wholeness. Mm. Um, because when we want something, we're in separation or in lack, right? And so when we started experimenting with doing different scientific measurements, one of the things we started to notice is that when a person somehow connects to something greater, and that has a influence on their nervous system. Uh, the side effect is that they feel so whole, so rejuvenated in that moment, so blessed by life in that moment from an inner experience that it's impossible for them to want. I mean, how can you want when you feel whole, right? And so when we started looking at heart coherence and we saw this tremendous changes in, in the uh, uh, people's ability to be able to sustain a state of mind, a feeling in their heart for an extended period of time. We have data to show you could be sick and do that. You could be a vegetarian and do that. You could be a carnivore and do that. You could be rich, you could be poor. And it doesn't, if you're skinny, overweight, doesn't matter. Once you learn that skill of self-regulation and being able to experience a greater level of wholeness, that if you can create from wholeness instead of separation or lack, you can produce greater effects on the nature of reality. So 
we came from singularity, and in when you're oneness or when you're source, there's no separation between cause and effect. Your thoughts create experiences when you're in oneness. We, we, we journey down the density, and now we're really separate from source. And so the what, what happens between cause and effect is called time. So we're here now to prove to ourselves that the divine lives in us. So why not practice shortening time or the interval between cause, the thought, and the effect, the experience? And when you start seeing something appear in your life as a result of you at cause, you start getting more kind, more caring, more loving, more conscious, more present, because you feel more whole. And so people in our work come for a lot of reasons, you know, and yes, uh, they have challenges and health conditions. Uh, but instead of wanting to heal, I want them to learn the formula on how to heal. I want them to learn the formula on how to create reality. I want them to learn the formula that there is a door to other dimensions that they can create independent of any exogenous substance and release latent systems in the brain that causes them to realize they're not a linear being living a linear life. They're a dimensional being living a dimensional life and it only takes one of those experiences where you have an alteration in your identity that you can't go back to being the same person again. Now the game changes now because I've seen this so many times when that person runs into the divine and there's an arousal that takes place in their nervous system. And I'm not talking about a little energy. I'm talking about energy that's so outside of normal. But the arousal isn't coming from fear, which normally creates arousal. It's not coming from aggression, which normally creates arousal. It's not coming from pain. They are running into information. They're running into something profound and the arousal is creating ecstasy. The arousal is creating bliss. The arousal is so profound. The feeling that they're having isn't coming from anything out there. Mm -hmm. It's coming somehow from within them. And they get a taste of that and they're less seduced by the outer world. They know where to get it. And now they have a romance with the divine. They have a date with the divine every day because the process of creation in connecting to that field should be ecstatic. The process of healing another person should be bliss because you need to connect to that field and create from the field instead of from matter. So there's so much cool research that changes our mind about that because it's not matter that's emitting a field. It's the field that's creating matter. You teach people to change the field. You change the field, you change matter. And understanding that is a reversal in navigating in a realm beyond space and time that once you can get beyond your attention on your body, get beyond your attention on different objects and people and things at certain times and places in your environment, no longer anticipating the next moment or living in the past, when a person can get trans transcendental beyond their identity, uh, they start passing through an eye of the needle. And that is their connection to that unifying field, that invisible field of energy that actually is connecting everything physical and material. And you can't use your senses when you're there. In fact, when you are there, there's a whole nother set of rules to execute in. There's no place to go. How could you go if there's no space? If there's no space, there's no time. Every thought has a frequency and being able to create from that place is why we're here. And so then when you see a person feel whole, and we measure their oxytocin levels. It's not just a little oxytocin. The oxytocin is 200 times normal. And oxytocin signals nitric oxide. And nitric oxide signals a chemical called endothelial-derived relaxing factor. And that causes the arteries in your heart and your lungs to literally open up. And just like your sexual organs get engorged with energy and fluid and blood, when that center is aroused, with the same intensity, you have a fullness in your heart. It's, a, it's physiological. And when oxytocin is released, it's impossible to hold a grudge. You cannot hold a grudge because 
you wouldn't want to trade this feeling by judging another person. You you wouldn't want to you wouldn't want to trade this feeling for any condition in your environment. And this is the beginning of unconditional. This is the beginning of our divinity. So when you have all this energy in your heart, and oxytocin levels are elevated, this is a different consciousness. Now the only thing you want to do is give. You want to say, I feel so amazing, and I want you to feel the way I feel. So here, I'll give this to you. So. Now, people come to our work to help others. People come to this work because they're not so interested in the material things, although if it got them here, and they learn the formula, and they learn how to create, once you get that, now that game's over. Now you wanna make a difference, you wanna leave a legacy, you wanna contribute, you wanna help somebody. And we bring children in at the end of the event, and we heal them of really serious health conditions. And we have really profound and prestigious universities in the United States saying, what in the heck are you guys doing? Like, we want to come and study this because it's so phenomenological. Now you're being a part of something great. So yeah, it may be the sports car. It may be the new relationship. It may be healing your body. But then when that happens, now what? What are you going to do now? Exactly. I mean, what are you going to do when you have everything? What are you going to do now? You're, you're, the next thing is, how am I going to make a difference? We're wired to care for one another, to be kind to one another, to heal one another, to shine for one another, so to show other people they can shine. That's what the living organism does when they're not in fear, when they're not in aggression and hatred and prejudice and all those things that create division. So, so when that person runs into that experience of the divine and their brain goes into an aroused state of gamma, they're getting a biological upgrade. I can guarantee you that some health condition will be eliminated because they just ran into wholeness and their body will become more whole. So they could do all the diets, all the chemotherapy, all the nutrition, everything, and they're handling that health condition matter to matter. And when you change that, anything in your life matter to matter, there's a long space between cause and effect, between thought and experience. It's sometimes so long you forget what your dream was. Mm -hmm. But when you run into it, and you produce an immediate effect, now you're doing it in no time. It's happening in the moment. And if you can capture that, and you see the brain go into these elevated states of coherent gamma patterns, 200, 300, 400, 500 standard deviations outside of normal, that person can't make their brain do that. That's a subjective experience that we're capturing objectively. And we say to that person, what was that? And it's inevitable. They don't, they don't have the words to describe what a mango tastes like. They don't have the words to describe what the divine is. You gotta just experience it. So then, that person that stands on the stage that has Parkinson's disease, or had Parkinson's disease, that's a 76-year-old female that can't blow, couldn't blow her nose, couldn't swallow, couldn't chew her food, couldn't stand up. One moment, running into the divine, and next thing you know, she's on the stage telling her story. And she's not young, and she's not buffed, and she doesn't look like a vegan, and she's not dressed like everybody that cares about that. She's just, you would walk right past her. But when she's talking and I'm looking out in the audience, I'm looking at 1,500 people leaning in. Nobody has got their eyes off of her because she's the example of truth. And that's the four-minute mile. Puncture right through there. That's a, that's a piercing through a layer of consciousness. And that leaves a footprint in consciousness. And there's someone in the audience with Parkinson's disease looking at her going, well, if she can do it, I can do it. And here comes the four minute mile. As soon as it's broken, the next person does it. So by the end of the event, there's so much love in the room. There's so much energy in the room because people feel so incredible that they're, 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 not, they're not attached to their past any longer. They're, they're so connected to their, they're, they're so connected to their future that they stop telling the story of their past. They're telling the story of their future. They're no longer believing in their past. They're believing in their future. They're no longer romancing their past. They're in a romance with their future. And if oxytocin levels are up and it's the chemical that bonds, and then you're going to believe in that future you're creating with all of your heart, it better be opened and activated. And we're going to measure it. And I'm going to tell you you're doing it or you're not. And so then when people start realizing it was never about that, it was about who they became, that we overcome, that we overcome, that we overcome that week, we overcome, we overcome. I give people numerous opportunities 
to get beyond themselves, numerous opportunities to connect with themselves. I want them to get frustrated. I want them to get impatient. I want them to get overly analytical because that's the end of their belief. And then finally, when they finally make up their mind to let go and just do it, and they run into that feeling, they run into that experience, they're all in. It's, they, you think they, you think they, they don't want a sports car anymore. They don't want, they want that, whatever that was. And if it comes with a transcendental moment, when they come back to their senses from that inner experience, their spectrum of reality is broadened. They're seeing things they had never seen before because their brain wasn't wired to see it, but it didn't come from the environment. It came from their inner environment. That transcendental moment now is producing a feeling, a frequency that is so unusual. It's so much joy, so much bliss, so much ecstasy. I've watched people have to stop it because it's way bigger than them. Now, I would consider that a good problem to have. <laughs> you measure that person's immune system. You measure the changes in their heart rate variability. Not a little amplitude, huge amplitudes. That person is feeling a lot of love. And imagine it's a man. Imagine a man whose heart is open that wide. They, they sob with, with the freedom to be able to not care what they look like. We're trying to fit into some paradigm or mold. So then a new consciousness in that footprint is emerging and we have scientific evidence. I can tell you can make your brain work better in a week. You can make your heart more coherent. You can change the field around your body. You can strengthen your immune system. You can change your gene expression. You can lengthen your life. You can create so many oxidative changes in your cells. We have great research to prove that. That's the truth of who you are. That's the truth, that miracle within you. That evidence is the backbone that gives people permission to try it out. It's the language. Then you see someone standing on the stage telling their story in testimony, whether it's stage four cancer, whether it's MS, whether it's blind people seeing, deaf people hearing. You can't go back to being the same person after that. Evidence is the loudest voice. And so then when we begin to make those inroads, and the footprint exists in consciousness and you're witnessing it in three-dimensional reality, the, the, the illusion of limitation begins to change. And now all you wanna do is you crave the unknown. So people in our work don't get up in the morning and go, oh God, I gotta do my meditation today. <laughs> no, they're not doing that. They're, they, their body is waking them up saying, get out of bed because they don't want the magic to end. And when you start seeing the gap between cause and effect, thought and experience closing down, you're moving closer to the divine. And when that happens, all the things you thought you want, you no longer want because the overcoming process leading to who you become Nobody can take that away from you. So we practice it in, in our seated meditations. We practice it standing and walking. You better walk as it, and you better be able to embody it and practice doing it with your eyes open. So when you return back to your life, when you walk from your house to your car, you're, work, you're walking in the energy of your future. And if you keep doing that, that's gonna become a habit. And people are gonna start looking at you going, something's different about you. You know why? because you're no longer showing up equal to their memory of you. You're, something's different about you. You're unpredictable. It's not what you're saying any longer. It's what you're, who you are. And so that person then is off their timeline. They're not headed to that same future. And all I wanna do in a week-long event is bump everybody off that timeline into a new future. Some, some people, huge degrees. You know, stage four cancers, tumors disappearing. You listen to that story of the person on the stage, your next meditation, you are not gonna go half in. You're gonna go all in. And that's all I want is I want people to go all in. I wanna provide people with my greatest understanding of the truth and then numerous opportunities to experience it, nothing more. And when the magic starts to happen, it's beyond, way bigger than me, it's beyond my control. All I wanna do is provide the environment where they feel safe enough to begin to create. That's the, that's the beauty of what this is all about. And at the same time, it contrasts with a story that we've been conditioned to believe, which is that we do not have that power, 
that if something happens, if that cancer goes away, spontaneous remission. It was a random chance event and you had nothing to do with it because you can't have anything to do with it because that's what capital S science or capital M medicine perhaps has been saying for so long. And then you start to witness it and you start to understand and you look at all of those clinical studies about the placebo effect and you understand that this has been measured and is continually measured in every clinical trial we have that the mind can influence the body and what you're doing is you're taking it to that ultimate level of how much can the mind influence the body and measuring it and showing it and you're having the felt experience of seeing people who have done it and you can read whether someone's full of shit or whether they're in tune just like you can tell if a guitar's out of tune and it's playing you're like ah, something's not quite right you can tell that these people have gone through this experience and it begins to shift your understanding of what's possible and then allows you to step into that sovereignty say wow what am i capable of and that is a beautiful place to be. So for people who want to understand a bit about some of this methodology, it is it is a formula that you have, you know, going in there and it's the matter of breath work starts with some breath work typically, not pretty, always. Pretty intense breath Pretty work. intense breath work. So there's the breath work, then there's the meditation, and then there's the cultivation of that, emo- that emotion combined with your vision of the future. So if you could, you know, take people through the, the reason why this formula goes in the direction that it does? Well, um, first of all, I never planned on doing any of this. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, I'm just a guy, you know, and, and I have a passion to learn and I have a passion for the divine. And it's always been uh, something that I've been aware of. It's a persistent feeling that never seems to go away. And I think people come to this work because they have that feeling. They may not be able to put into words what they feel, but it's an instinct in their mind that never goes the way that there's more to reality than this dream. And uh, I think that feeling brings them to this work. So when I started on this journey and what the bleep came around and that became an overnight sensation and I was doing all the bleep conferences, you know, people ask me the same question. And I pay attention to questions because that's what's the real dialogue they would say, okay, uh, your thoughts create reality. Okay, how do you do it? I thought that was a great question because this is a time in history right now. 15 years ago, it was philosophy. Ooh, you know, quantum physics. You know. Now everybody's informed. Now everybody, people, people, this is a time in history where it's not enough to know. This is a time in history to know how. It's to know how to do it. And if you give them that sound scientific information, I now know that if I can speak it in a way that nothing is left to conjecture. Nothing is left to superstition. Nothing is left to dogma. They know exactly what they're doing and why. And the moment you know the what and the why, the how starts to get easier. So I will deliver concepts, ideas, mix different uh, forms of science to create a model of understanding. And I now know that if that person, as I develop this model of understanding, can explain that model to someone else. They're wiring it in their brain. They're installing the hardware. If they can't explain it, it's not wired in their brain, and they're not going to believe that they can do it. So if they can turn the person next to them between the two of them and build a model of understanding, they're making their brain fire in new sequences and new patterns and new combinations. They're changing their mind. Mind is the brain in action. If I keep reminding them of what they're learning, nerve cells that fire together wire together. They're installing the circuitry. Now, the next step is to provide the environment and give them the proper instruction to get their behaviors to match their intentions, to get their actions equal to their thoughts, to get their mind and body working together. If they do, they're going to run into a new experience. Now, the crazy thing about the experience is learning is making new synaptic connections. That's what learning is. Research shows that you pay attention and learn something new and you repeat it. Just for an hour, you're going to double the number of connections in your brain. That's that's a lot, 1,600 to the 3,200 connections. That's a lot of extra connections. But if you don't review it, if you don't think about it, if you don't repeat it, those circuits prune apart within hours or days. So if learning mm-hmm. is making new connections, then remembering is maintaining and sustaining those connections, you got to review it. It's so much easier to forget than remember when it comes to this stuff, and it's it's a constant process. So then if they can get their behaviors to match their intentions and they have a new experience, experience enriches the philosophical circuits in the brain, but when those neurons string into place, 
the brain makes a chemical. And that chemical is called a feeling or an emotion. And when you start feeling unlimited, when you start feeling worthy, when you are having an experience that causes you to be more in love with life, it is that chemical release from the limbic brain that teaches your body chemically to understand what your mind is intellectually understood. So if knowledge is for the mind, experience is for the body, and in that moment the person's embodying the truth of that philosophy, and now they're selecting and instructing new genes from the experience because the chemistry that's coming from the environment is information. And so genes make proteins, and all of a sudden they start wearing a different body. Repeat it over and over again. Do anything over and over again. Neurochemically, you'll condition your mind and body to begin to work as one. Do it enough times, now your body will know better than your conscious mind. Now it's innate in you. Now it's second nature. Now it's simple. Now you know that you know. You may not know how you do it. You don't know how you know how, but you can do it because it's subconscious now. So now that implicit memory, now you're mastering that knowledge. You're mastering the philosophy. You're becoming the knowledge. You're embodying it so much so that it's automatic. It's effortless. It's easy. So when we started looking at people's ability to regulate their brainwaves, we just published the paper. It just got released yesterday. Our students in our community can do it in four seconds, five seconds, nine seconds, 11 seconds. It's not like, hey, I'm getting the divine ahead of you. It's just like they've done it so many times. Like, it's like driving a stick shift. It's just, it's not a difficult thing, but they practiced and they came up against their blocks. They came up against their limitations. They came up against their frustrations. They came up against their analytical mind and I want them to in a week long event because if not now, when? Now is the new later and let's do it now, right? Yes. So then what we learned when we started studying brains, what we were doing pre and post measurements, and we've got thousands and thousands of brain scans. We have real-time brain scans too. And when I started seeing people whose brains were getting worse during a meditation, I said to them, what are you doing in there? And 100% of the time, they were analyzing their life or themselves within some disturbing emotion. <laughs> and if emotions are the record of the past and those emotions are derived from the hormones of stress, they were thinking in the past. And I learned right in that moment that if I got the person past the emotion, cross the river of change with me, forget about the emotion, just keep overcoming it. Forget about the past. Dragging people out of their past is the work. And so when we started studying those brains and we started seeing changes pre and post measurements, I realized the change wasn't just in their mind. It was actually in their brain. And that we were measuring different compartments of the brain and when we're living in stress and we're living in survival, when the brain is aroused into those high beta brainwave patterns and we're out of balance and we're trying to predict and control everything in our life and we're shifting our attention from one person to another person to another problem to another thing to another uh, condition, every person, every object, everything, every place has a neurological network in your brain. So as the person was aroused by the hormones of stress like a lightning storm in the clouds, their brain was firing very incoherently. Different compartments were out of sync with other compartments of the brain. And, and if your brain is incoherent, you're incoherent. And if your brain isn't working right, you're not working right. So if it requires a clear intention and elevated emotion to begin to change reality and you have an incoherent brain, what kind of signal are you sending out into the field? Pretty static. In fact, better way to say it is you have no Wi-Fi signal. You have no, there's no, there's, you're separate. And the hormones of stress create separation. And when you're sitting in a staff meeting and you're looking at that person and you just want to punch them in the head or you want to <laughs> throttle them in some reason or you're angry in traffic and you're turning on those hormones, you're stepping on the gas. But at the same time, you can't fight, you can't run, you can't hide, you're stepping on the brake. You step on the gas and the brake at the same time, your heart starts beating incoherently and energy leaves the brain and heart. We've seen this so many times. So then, if the thought is the electrical charge in the quantum field, and the feeling is the magnetic charge, and how you think and how you feel creates your state of being, then we gotta get energy right into this center right here. Because if you're gonna believe in that future that you're imagining with all of your heart, it better be open and activated. And we gotta teach people how to create heart coherence. And we have beautiful imagery to show that when a person's heart is coherent, like taking a big sheet 
and just flushing it, just whipping it like that, that wave that's created, the heart begins to send profound waves of energy into the brain, and the brain goes into a creative state. So the heart is the creative center. And our heart begins to drive our brain into more alpha patterns, more creative patterns. At the same time, when the heart gets coherent, it's producing an ambient magnetic field up to three meters wide. Now you're more wave, less particle more energy, less matter. You're emitting a coherent signature. Now that energy is frequency. And that frequency carries information. So when's energy begins to activate the heart and you're giving thanks for the event before it's happened. Your body's so objective, it's believing that it's happening to you because what is the emotional signature of gratitude? When you get something favorable, you receive something favorable, something just happened to you that you like, something's happening to you, you say, I thank you. The feeling of gratitude, the emotional signature, means it's happening to you, it's already happened. So it is the ultimate state of receivership. So teach a person how to give thanks before it happens, open their heart, and their heart's like a pounding of a drum or dropping a pebble in water, is producing these, this field. It's that energy, that creative energy can carry the thought of their health. It can ride, that intention can ride on the wave that could be wealth, new relationship, suffering, and the energy does not carry the thought of health. It carries a different set of thoughts. So people say to me, well, I can't open my heart. Well, I ask them, well, what, what do you practice feeling all day long anyway? Because you're so good at feeling something else, you haven't practiced feeling it. So then, when we teach people this formula, they have to keep overcoming their thoughts, overcoming their impatience, overcoming the programs, overcome, they come right up against it. Anything that's standing in the way between them and their connection they got to do business with it. And so as they start removing those veils, those masks, those layers, and they start crossing that river of change, and their heart starts to open a little bit, and they feel a little bit more, and they feel a little bit more, and their brain is coherent. Now they have a coherent brain and a coherent heart. The balance between the two is an exchange of information that's not coming from out there. It's coming from within them. And now they have a Wi-Fi signal. And now they're connected. When, you, when your heart opens and your brain is coherent, you feel connected to something greater. You don't feel separate any longer. So then, can you then get so good at it that no person, no condition, no experience in your life is gonna move you from it? That's the name of the game. That's the Wi-Fi signal now. And so now, whatever you broadcast into the field is really your experiment with destiny. Not, not, for, the, not for the whatever you get, but for the fact that you created it. That's the fun part. And then, you know, so many people, they, I have people in our work that created so much wealth. You know the first thing they did? They gave it away. Well, of course they would, because they're now believe they can create it again. Like, so now what? Now you just get good at giving. Like, it's no longer about that. You know, what do you want? You know, what are you, you're going to get that car, and then you're going to be like, you know, I'd rather drive the Mini. I don't really care about that whatever car. I'm just happy with what I have. So when you're, when you're at that point where you're so whole that you don't care what people think about you, when you're so happy with yourself that you're free, you don't care what you look like, you're just happy with you, man, that's freedom for people. That's so much freedom. So it brings me great joy to witness transformation. And that formula then, I always tell people, don't work on your healing. Work on learning the formula. Once you learn the formula, and get it down, the healing will be the side effect of your personal change. So we teach that formula after about 10 years of research and looking at all the data. And we have great universities right now around the world that are very interested in, in what we're doing. And, and uh, uh, it, you know, it happens once, it's an incident. It happens twice, it's a coincidence. It starts happening over and over again. It's a law, you know. So we're seeing people, all shapes, all colors, all ages, all sizes, doing the miraculous. It's the, it is the formula for entering the kingdom of heaven, which is a place of perception. It's not an actual place. I think that was an allegory that we've gotten all wrong, that this is some place we go when we die. This is some place that's available right now. You don't have to die to go to the kingdom of I wouldn't <laughs> wait till I died to go there. I would yeah. never wait for that. Yeah. Hell is living in survival. That's, that's it. it. And you either live in survival or you live in creation. And, and living in creation is such an elegant moment because you have to disconnect from everything known and you have to get so present that time 
is no longer of the essence. You are in the internal present moment. This is a flip because when we're living by our senses in three-dimensional reality, the space-time continuum, there's an infinite amount of space. And with an infinite amount of space, I'm local. I have a body, I'm local in space and time. And then I want to move from here to the door. One point of awareness, Joe Dispenza, my other point of awareness, the door. So in order for me to go from here to the door, I got to move my body through space. And guess what? That takes time. So if I'm creating matter to matter, here's me, Joe Dispenza, where's my dream? Way over there. Why is it way over there? Because my brain is automatically estimating how long I'm going to have to work and go back and forth to work. And it's going to take time and it's going to take energy to finally manifest that home or that car or whatever. And you're going to have to work hard or you're going to rush faster to get it done. And when you finally pay off that house or whatever, you're too tired, too exhausted to enjoy it. When you pass through the eye of the needle into the quantum and you enter that realm of time space, it's a different world. There's an infinite amount of time. Time is eternal. There's an infinite amount. Now think about this. How much could we get done if we had an infinite amount of time? We could get anything done we wanted, but we might not want to do anything at all. Exactly. But, <laughs> but if you had all the time in the world, there's infinite possibilities. That's yep. the quantum. And in the realm of time-space, there's no past. There is no future. It's all happening now. And so there's no past lives or future lives. They're stacked on top of each other. And as we move through time, we, as we time travel, we experience dimensions or spaces. And we have all the latent systems in the brain once activated to open the door to that dimension. And it only takes one experience of entering that place that you cannot see the world the same way again. That's what, you know, so much of the research coming out of Johns Hopkins about psilocybin-assisted transcendental experiences. It's not the psilocybin that's healing anything. It's not the psilocybin that's treating depression that's in the phase two trials. It's the transcendental experience that psilocybin is facilitating. And so the transcendental experience is the healing force. It is the acting force. This is an external tool. And this is a tool I'm familiar with. I started down that medicinal use of psilocybin, ceremonial use 21 years ago. But and it's a beautiful path, and it's gotten me to amazing places. However, I still became dependent on something external to awaken the transcendental mm -hmm. within me. Mm -hmm. And I think the beauty of the formula is saying, yeah, okay, this is all great. There's many different paths. But what if you could generate this entirely yourself with breath, with open focus meditation, with selecting that emotion? And even for me, who's experienced the transcendental, there's still some resistance to actually acknowledging that I have absolute full agency to select an emotion. Mm -hmm. I remember I worked with a Siberian mystic and we did what could have been like an acting exercise. And she wanted me to go through every emotion and just select it. Okay, now feel sad, now feel happy, now feel surprised, now feel depressed, now feel overwhelmed with joy. And I would do it, but there was some part of me that says, you can't do this, you can't select your emotions. Your emotions are determined by the outside world. And I think I was afraid to actually admit that I really could do it. Because then if I could really do it, well then I had all of this responsibility to actually do this. I had to take responsibility for everything I feel. I could no longer blame anything out there in the world for how I was feeling. This was all on me. Sure. So is that where you see the, the biggest resistance to doing this work? Is it the resistance to accepting that responsibility, forgiving yourself for not knowing this before and not being able to blame anything? Or where is the resistance to just jumping in and giving it a try? Mm, I, I, um, I think my, my view about that has changed a lot in the last uh, uh, couple of years. Uh, when you see a person who is blind, because of a stroke and is told they'll never heal from that stroke. I mean, after two weeks, if it doesn't heal, you'll normally have to live with it and loses her job, uh, can't drive, uh, you know, she's clinically blind. Uh, uh, I'm not the person uh, that is going to tell her you can absolutely heal this. She has to come to that understanding on her own. Mm. So people, uh, Many times when they gather knowledge and information, uh, the information causes them to become conscious 
of what they were once unconscious to. And when you have a greater level of consciousness, you see possibilities. And in a sense, you're energized by information. You're, you're enlightened, you're filled with light in some way, and you see possibilities that you haven't seen before. Now, getting beyond the analytical mind is one of the main purposes of meditation. And I can tell you that the analytical mind is always going to talk us out of possibility because it is fascinated on trying to predict what's going to happen next. So if you can predict your future, then you're laying a known on an unknown. And this is a habit we have because the brain is an anticipation machine. So there's many different obstacles and resistance resistances that come with a persistent disbelief that has been programmed over and over again. I mean, I don't watch television, but I've watched it because of what's happening in the world. And I am so insulted by television commercials. I, I, <laughs> I can't believe people would sit there and allow that information to program them, some drug to make them feel a certain way, some look, some whatever. You don't think that has profound effects on programming a person into limitation. When I wrote the book, You Are the Placebo, I was so angry at myself for two weeks. I was m so frustrated with myself because I bought the program. People, people, believe they, people believe they need a flu shot because they don't believe their body's in the body's innate capacity to heal. Four days teaching people how to elevate their state, increased immunoglobulin A in our research by 50%. Immunoglobulin A is your body's primary defense against bacteria and viruses. It's better than the flu shot. It's better than a flu shot. But that's not the information that people get. So there's a, a layer of programming that's happening. And the beauty behind all of this is nobody's buying information any longer. I love it. Mm. And, and I'm, I'm not prone to believe that guy in that tube telling me the way it is, and nobody should. And more and more people then, as they start to wake up to information, there's a change in energy. Because change in consciousness requires a change in energy. And now, a greater energy causes systems that were once stable to become unstable, to become chaotic. And chaos is just unpredictable order. It's novelty, it's newness, it's an unraveling of systems. So hang on. This is a really profound time because it's got a break. And when it breaks, something better come out of it. And it's not gonna be governments and politicians and, and religious figures and whatever leading the way. There, there is no one leader. Everybody's got to lead, mm. just like those birds that move in one direction or those fish that are all in a school and they're moving together. Give the appearance of something bigger to predators. You study that principle in biology. It's called emergence. You think that there's one leader that everybody's following. Everybody's leading. And there's a stigma we have in our minds that if you lead with too much passion in your life, you're going to lose your life whether you're Martin Luther King or William Wallace or Joan of Arc or Abraham Lincoln, you're gonna get it. And that stigma is branded in people's minds for a reason. But this is a time in history to not die for the truth. This is a time in history to live for the truth. And if you're working on your anger and frustration and I'm working on my fear and anxiety and my judgment and I'm taking care of me and you emerge in that heart of yours and I emerge in that heart, we are going to be like-minded. We're gonna be connected by that invisible field. Now everybody's leading and you just can't take out everybody now. So we can't, we can't wait for anybody else to take care of us. This is, this is the fundamental time where something greater has gotta grip us. Something greater, and if I see you demonstrating courage, I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump in. Mm -hmm. And all of this craziness that's going on is an important time, but when we stop doing all those things that, and reacting, and we start going, hey, what do you do? Oh, you're, you're a solar panel guy? Oh, I'm a teacher. Oh, you're a doctor? Let's get together and let's start figuring out how to coexist. Oh, you're, you're, you're brown, I'm white, you're black? Who cares? That's just, that's the costume you're wearing <laughs> to the masquerade. I, I celebrate your uniqueness, I'm weird too. And we're all like that. So yeah. the biggest lie is that kind of, 
a way to create separation amongst people for the simple reason to disempower them into limitation because now they're more dependent on pharmaceutical companies. They're more dependent on religion. They're more dependent on whatever it is that they need out there. But how can you give someone a sugar pill, a saline injection, perform some false surgery or procedure, and a certain percentage of those people will accept, believe, and surrender to the thought that they're getting an actual substance or, or treatment, and they begin to program their autonomic nervous system to make the exact pharmacy of chemicals equal to the substance they think they're taking. Now, is it the inert substance that's doing the healing, or is it the body's innate capacity to heal? Because that sugar pill represents, it is a symbol of possibility. And you hand that person that pill, and they begin to select a new potential in the quantum field called, this could actually work. And if the doctor's enthusiastic, it'll work better. And if you name it something they can't pronounce, it'll work even better. <laughs> and if you charge a lot more money for it, it'll work even better. And you make it sound like something that it can do for you, it'll work even better. Viagra, Niagara, that's a lot of flow. It's subconscious cues. So then, in the studies on depression, in the studies on pain relief, those people were making their own pharmacy of antidepressants, their own pharmacy of morphine. They were checking the receptor sites on the outside of the cells and their body was making morphine. So then, do you need the sugar pill? Do you need the saline injection? Do you need to perform some false surgery or procedure? Because all they're doing is marrying a clear intention with the elevated emotion of optimism, of possibility, of inspiration. They're changing their state of being. All right, so the depression studies took eight weeks. Giving the person the pill every day, most of them thought they were getting the actual substance because they felt so much better. The brain scan showed that they were better. They were getting the placebo. They went back to the researchers and said, I'm sorry, you, you must have given me the real medication. No, 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 he gave you the placebo. That's how much better they felt. It wasn't one day. They didn't take it once and say, I'm better. He took it for six weeks. So then people are so entitled to thinking that the moment they press on their cell phone, they get answers and information. It's not how it works. This is, this is a practice. Every day, changing your state of being. Doing it for eight weeks without a sugar pill. Just marrying a clear intention and elevated emotion, changing your state of being without any exogenous substance. Sooner or later, you start feeling good. You practice feeling good every day for eight weeks, you're going to start feeling good. It's just going to be the side effect. It just makes sense. Yep. The, the interesting thing about what's going on, and by the way, let's go. Like really, like let's go. Like that was, that was you know a call to a call to action, and it's exactly you know it really resonates with everything that I feel, and then it contrasts with what appears to be the greatest mass nocebo experiment of all time, yeah. in which everything everywhere you look, it's a death count. Everywhere you look, it's this is going to kill you. You're not safe. You're never safe. No matter what you do, it's not safe enough. Don't sing Christmas carols. Don't have more than two households over for Thanksgiving. Like that's the whole point of Thanksgiving. All of this messaging that's coming across is a massive nocebo effect, which is triggering the exact opposite mechanism as the placebo effect. And we're in this world and then, but at the same time, it's a beautiful reflection of how much of this will we just gobble up? How much will we take before we reach out and find a community of other brothers and sisters, people willing to stand in their truth and in their sovereignty? And so when you, when you look at this, and I, and I alluded to this, the power of being around a thousand people all going into the quantum together, all going into that meditation together, I've felt it in the communities that I've been a part of. When we gather in any ceremony, it's even a biblical passage where two or three are gathered, you know, the divine is sure to be present. Like there is some amplification effect from community. And is that what you see as, as the way forward? You said it's gonna come from all of us. How important is community in this really revolution of ideas that's going on right now? Well, let's go back to the person who breaks through and stands on the stage that had metastatic carcinoma from uh, breast cancer. This cancer spread throughout her entire body. All she wanted to do was be able to pray again. Her father dragged her to the event. And all she wanted to do was be able to get on her knees and pray. She's a young girl. Couldn't bend over, couldn't walk. She was in so much pain because the cancer was spread through all of her spine. One moment, one moment she was on the stage, couldn't feel 
any pain in her body, sobbing in tears. I sent her for um, a PET scan. Not an ounce of cancer in her bones. Where, where did it go? I mean, what happened there? You see that person on the stage, and our community gets closer. You get people opening their heart. Love bonds. You can't not bond in love. You have to hug. You have to connect. You have to bond. It's, it's whether you're a man hugging a man, a woman hugging a woman, a man hugging a woman, something happens where we are connecting. And so when you see that person, the first one, stand on the stage and tell that story, just like an infection can spread amongst the community and create disease, all of a sudden health and wellness are as infectious as disease. And I just say to my staff, get out of the way. Four people with Raynaud syndrome in one event all healed. Two people with Parkinson's, psychiatrist and another lady, another lady allergic to everything in her life, she, she came with a ventilator and a mask. And in the middle of the event, she's in front, of the, in the front of the room dancing around, no mask, no nothing. When you start seeing people freeing themselves from their own limitations, the energy in the room, it's not just the energy in the room, it's the coherence in the room. Because if your heart is coherent, and I'm sitting right next to you, and my field is coherent, and I'm interfering with your field, and those two fields come together, the union of those two fields, the interference is gonna create a higher wave. Higher wave, higher energy. <laughs> now there's energy in the room for healing. Now there's an energy in the room for the mystical. And the interference starts creating doors. Interference patterns of fractal geometry that are doors to dimensions. And you tell me then, you get a group of people, a thousand people in a room. You have 50 people in the front of the room wearing a heart rate monitor. By the middle of the event, everybody is locked into their heart. They know how to execute. And I say, get in that heart of yours, and on that energy, lay the thought that the people in the front of the room on that energy, that their lives be enriched, that their bodies be healed, that their dreams come true. And you explain to me then how all those people in the front of the room, the majority of those people go into heart coherence at the exact same time, the exact same day in the exact same meditation. They're, they're influencing their autonomic nervous system. The collective is entraining them into the same frequency. And what is that frequency? Love, gratitude, hopefulness for the greatest good. And so then the collective then moves as one mind as one heart, and the collective begins to entrain the weak. The collective begins to care for the other ones that are falling behind, not because they wanna run to their dream, but because they wanna help people realize their dream because that's important to them. Is you can't not care. You can't not be present. You can't not be kind. And, and uh, you see a man show up in a wheelchair from a stroke completely disabled, his daughter wheeled him around that whole event. And he had a profound moment the very last day. And he went back, she wheeled him into the house, he could walk. He got up in the morning, he showered for the first time in 10 years, got dressed, walked, his wife was having breakfast. He walked down to the, to the store, to the, to the restaurant, and asked if he could, she, he could sit down and have breakfast. She went, absolutely crazy. To me, I don't know, There's that's better than a sports car. That feeling to me is, is worth all the gold in the world. So we have people now that I have witnessed so many profound healings where people are healing other people because they know how to administer coherence and change the field of the person laying before them. They understand the science, the quantum physics. They understand all what they're doing and why they're doing it. And then all of a sudden, they're healing all these people in our events. Tumors disappearing, people stepping out of wheelchairs, crazy blind people seeing, deaf people hearing, crazy stuff. You, 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 this is biblical proportion stuff. And now they're doing it non-locally because they can't be together, but they understand in the quantum there's no separation. They can do it without being there. And they're not doing it. I, I've dropped in on these calls. They're not doing it because they want to hang a shingle on their door saying, I'm a healer. In fact, they got to get beyond that in order to heal. They got to get beyond that identity. They're doing it because they're healing themselves every time they connect to love. And so 
That person then, whose daughter was riddled with a, a brain injury from a child that never looked at her brothers, never was present, never could talk, was, was still and frozen, who's now looking at her brothers and laughing and hugging them and smiling and trying to talk. We're on, the, we're on the call with 50 people and two scientists from a prestigious university. And this woman is telling the story and everybody is sobbing. Everybody is sobbing. Why? We contribute to the living organism. You made a difference. You changed somebody's life. That's why we do it for that feeling. You keep doing it. That's gonna be a common feeling. You're gonna get really sensitive to, a, to some energy, to some feeling. That's what it's about. People try to work their whole week in opening their heart at a week-long event. Comes time to heal another person. Now it's no longer about them. And they, they, they get it. They get it. All they had to do was open their heart for somebody else. That's how it opens. So then we, we have it backwards. That when we start regulating and feeling wholeness and love, and we practice that on a daily basis, the master goes unnoticed, walking past somebody and healing them. They don't, they don't want to be recognized. They're not doing it for recognition. They left that a long time ago. They're doing it because they want to execute. They want to, they, they want to know the right time, the right moment, the right second to be able to do it. So I'm proud of my, our community because our community is connected. It's, I never want this work to be about me. If it's about me, it's the wrong thing. I want it to be about them. I want them to be empowered and inspired. I'm not gonna give them, tell them what to do. I would never do that. I would rob them of their free will. I want them to be able to execute with the tools to be able to create the life they want. And as you get closer and closer to source, to singularity, to wholeness, it's no longer about you, it's about us. It's about community. And, and that's when uh, we begin to emerge as something greater. Absolutely. And I think it's also where so many of these different movements have gone awry because it's been about the guru, the healer, the one person on stage who is doing all the healing and everybody receiving and them saying, I'm special, I'm different than you, I can do this and you can't. And that's the old model and that doesn't work. And that's why there's so much pushback to this whole concept because we've seen over and over again the guru, that, that master healer, that preacher manipulate other people and say that they're different, they're ordained, they're divinely chosen and other people aren't. So give them your money, give them your service. And it's, it's placed this kind of hierarchy and that's not the truth. And so we know that that's not the truth, so we've pushed against it. The truth is, is that we're all the master, we're all the healer, we're all the mystic, and there's a method and there's a formula. And if we have the courage and audacity to step into that master healer role, we will. But the moment we make it about us, we're go back in the old paradigm and it's all gonna, so it's sure. all gonna fall apart. And you are what you practice. You practice being a victim, you're gonna get really good at it. <laughs> you're gonna get really great at it. You practice being a master or a mystic, keep practicing, walk as it, talk as it, sit as it, surrender to it, become more of it and less of you. <laughs> you're gonna start having wacky things happen in your life. <laughs> and you're not gonna be able to explain that to your priest. You're not gonna be able to explain that to the person who's a, a governor of your, of your province. You're not gonna be able to explain that to your doctor. Although, wow, what an amazing time. We have so many physicians that come to our work now. We have so many doctors, oncologists referring their people, their patients, because they understand that if they can't get beyond their emotions and their analytical mind, they are not going to heal. So the idea that people can create a better life for themselves, to begin to change their body. In order for them to change their body, they gotta get beyond their body. Because if their body's trying to change their body, it's just gonna take a long time. It's just gonna take time. And so when that person has that inner interaction with the divine, they get a biological upgrade. And that upgrade then is instantaneous. And that instantaneous change causes them to take a piece of the divine back here into three-dimensional reality. We take a piece of it with us. So imagine every day 
you started your day with a date with the divine. Now, I don't know about you. I mean, you have a beautiful wife, but <laughs> I don't think you would want to miss a date with her too often. I don't. Yeah, you wouldn't. And so what is the difference between a date with the divine? If you're going to make a date, show up. And when you show up, don't complain and bag it for things and complain to it. And who would, would you want to be around that? The divine would just be like, oh my God, <laughs> meet it in love. Meet it with passion. Meet it. When your mind matches its mind, when your will matches its will, when your love for life matches its love for life, it is getting really close to you. And, and, and when it occurs, all the things you thought you wanted, you no longer want because you no longer feel like you need them any longer. So then the game changes once again. So what an amazing time in history. I mean, amazing time uh, to wake up. Just so grateful that you're out here doing this work and being a pioneer. And, you know, so many people, I, I actually, I was quite confident, but I didn't know if I was going to, you know, meet you. And I've met a lot of other people who've maintained, you know, 10 feet of distance, you know, when, when I've met them during this time and maybe gave me an elbow and they are, they're health professionals, and I'd say, or, or spiritual professionals or spiritual leaders. And, and I've said, okay, you know, I, I see that. But uh, it was really lovely to give you a big warm hug and, <laughs> uh, and share a slice of pizza with you. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and just know that, you know, you're really embodying the beliefs that, uh, that you speak about and you live for everybody else. So just the utmost gratitude to you hmm. and, and all the work Thank that you've you, done. Thank you, bro. Thank you, brother. Of yeah. course. Yeah. And thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. This was one of the most inspiring interviews I've ever been a part oh. of. So uh, just so grateful. Thank, thank you. you, bro. Thanks for tuning into this podcast with myself and Dr. Joe Dispenza. I highly recommend his books, his seminars, his meditations. Everything he does is worth checking out. And of course, thank you so much for supporting the podcast. Leave a review. Let us know what you thought. We love you, and we'll see you next week.